This episode discusses coping with emotional trauma and grief as a result of a suicide attempt. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or a crisis, please reach out immediately to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text HOME to the crisis text line at 741741. These services are free and confidential. Do you identify as a unicorn? Are you unhinged? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Unhinged Unicorns. <laughs> All right, welcome to another episode of Unhinged Unicorns. My name is Josh, and I'm here with my co-host, Steph. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. We haven't done this in a while. I think we're a little out of practice. Yeah. Um, it's it's been what like five months I think since we posted. Oh my god! Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been but a while. To fill everyone in, there's been a lot going on, and this episode we are going to uh, just kind of update everyone on where we both are and what we've been going through because it's been a humdinger. Let me tell you. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? You go first. Okay, so (laughs) there's a lot. There's a lot to fill you in on. Steph, you already know this because we're friends in real life, not just here on our podcast. So you already know this, but I'm going to fill you in as well as the audience. Um, And I got to be careful in how I present this because we do post uh, our episodes on public forums like YouTube, and I don't want to get censored in any kind of way. So I'm going to um, be careful in how I present this information. So back in October, my father made an attempt on his life, and it was a very violent attempt. And he survived. I don't know how he survived, but somehow, by the grace of God, he survived. And uh, as you can imagine, it has caused a lot of trauma. And it has stirred up a lot of emotions for me, Um, you know, from like unresolved trauma from my childhood and just a lot of things that it has stirred up. So, yeah, I've been I I decided to take a little bit of a hiatus from recording because I just was not in the best frame of mind to be, uh, you know, coming on here and, and laughing and talking about stuff. I mean. You know, I cope with it in uh, a multitude of different ways, you know, and I use humor as a defense mechanism. And so, yeah, I was making a lot of inappropriate jokes about the situation, and I'm sure it made a lot of my friends really uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) But that was just part of how I coped with it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was it was a really traumatic experience. And we're still kind of in the middle of it, you know. Um, Yeah. It's been, what, four months? It was October. November, December, January. Okay, so three oh, months. Oh, that's right. Because I remember I was on my way to the convention when you called me in the car. It was like right before Halloween. And yeah. um, I got a call out of the blue. I was at work. I got a call from my brother. And it was actually both of my brothers. We were on like a three-way call. And they broke the news to me. And my brother started off the conversation. He was like, so we all know dad's an asshole, right? <laughs> And so I'm expecting, you know, a funny story about whatever the latest antics that he's been up to. And yeah, my brother kind of just, you know, said what happened. And I'm not going to go into detail about it here, but it was very traumatic. And I just remember it was like this feeling of like, this can't be real. And also another aspect of this is that I live in Florida and all of my immediate family lives in Texas. And so there was a distance factor that prevented me from being there in person. And so I felt very powerless and helpless. And at first we didn't know if he was going to survive. There was just a lot of unknowns and yeah, it was really traumatic. It was really, really traumatic as someone who has struggled with thoughts of that myself. I initially took like a, more of a compassionate approach to the situation because I've been in that situation and I know how miserable and just hopeless it feels to feel like that, that that's the only way out. And so I really, I kind of applied my own experience 
toward that situation. And I just really felt bad for my dad. But then come to find out, uh, you know, a little bit later that it wasn't because of him coming from a place of despair or anything like that. It was more of a, it was a way to get back at my mom. He was doing Mm. it to prove a point. (laughs) And it was more of like a vindictive thing. And he wanted her to find him. And so that has added a whole different layer to this that I wasn't expecting. And it stirred up a lot of anger and a lot of fear. So to say the least, it has been challenging. Another factor in all of that is that I went home for the holidays. And that's the first time that I've been home in like two years. Yeah. And being there in person really opened my eyes to the gravity of the situation. Reality and of things. Yeah. And what really struck me is just how broken the system is when it comes to mm. mental health and getting help for mental health. Yeah. Because what happened with my dad is first it required medical intervention. So he was in the hospital for a while healing. And they did during that time, they didn't do any kind of psychological treatment other than to determine that he was no longer needed to be on a watch, like a 24 hour watch. But once they removed that, they didn't do any further treatment. They didn't have him meeting with a psychiatrist or a psychologist regularly or addressing any of the underlying issues. They just were focused on the medical side of him healing. And he had to go through several operations and it was just a whole thing. Well, after he got, he basically, they discharged him from the hospital into like a nursing home where they focus on uh, physical therapy. And he was there for a short time and then he developed an infection. And so he had to go back into the hospital. And that, when that happened, we were afraid he was, we were going to lose him then because of the infection. He was, I talked to him on the phone and he wasn't making sense. Um, He was like going in and out of consciousness and, That was scary. That was almost scarier than when it actually happened because we were just really unsure if he was going to make it through the night. Anyway, so he went back into the hospital and continued to heal. And thankfully, they were able to um, give him antibiotics to get past the infection. And so then they released him back to that nursing home again. And it was right after, like the day after Christmas that they released him from the nursing home. You know, the stipulation was my mom wanted him to go into an inpatient treatment program and he was willing to, but because he wasn't active, actively wanting to hurt himself, they wouldn't take him. Mm. Even though he was voluntarily willing to go, nobody would take him. It just was mind boggling to me. You know, somebody that had just been in the hospital for two months that could, you know, couldn't get help, but yet very clearly needs the help. Yeah. So it just showed me how broken the system is. And then we finally did get him into a place, but it was like a short term. Basically they like stabilize you and then send you on your way. They don't really address the underlying issues. So what I have found out is that even if you want help and even (laughs) if you have insurance, you can't always get help. Yeah. They determine like what kind of care you need, depending on like if it's a physical malady instead of it. That's that's exactly I think I think you and I can relate with that in terms of our eating disorder where and even like people on the opposite end of the spectrum who have like anorexia and we we have friends in program who have anorexia and bulimia who will be in the hospital. And they'll be like fed or like given just enough so that they can like discharge from the hospital and be like, okay, you're good. And it's like, they're not good. You're missing a big part of the issue where you're just pretty much, they're making it so you keep on coming back to the hospital or to the doctor because your care and your treatment isn't quite finished. Well, and I think it goes even deeper than that because at least in my dad's situation, the insurance determined when they were done paying. So it was like, okay, we're done. So yeah. you got to 
you got to figure it out. No, you got to pay out of pocket. Right. And, you know, an assisted living place, I mean, depending on where you go, those are thousands of dollars a month. And unless you just are made of money, it's hard for most people to be able to afford that kind of care. Yeah. And with, in his case, you know, his insurance didn't cover any inpatient treatment at all for mental health, period. And so the place that he did get into, they were like, well, if he's not able to come home, then the only other option is to go to a homeless shelter. Well, what good is that going to (laughs) do? Well, eat him alive. Exactly. Like we're dealing with someone who needs mental health care, who needs to, obviously there's a problem. You know, and so it just was really eye opening to me. And by no means am I justifying anything, but I understand why people snap because there's, they want, maybe they even want help, but there's just not help available. Like not snap at the insurance help. companies or like, no, snap, like go lose oh, it. Why people get to that point. Yeah. Because they, even if they want help, help is not easily accessible. Yeah. And then on top of that, you factor in, we live in a country where we're overworked, overstressed, underpaid, yep. underinsured. And so you factor in all of that and it's like a pressure cooker. Yeah. And then where's where do we even have the time to go to these appointments? Like if we are in a position where we are able to attend appointments or we are able to have health insurance, how am I supposed to go to these appointments if I have to work five days out of the week, nine to five? That's right. not my schedule, but, you know, the general person. Right. Well, me, for example, right? I, I work yeah. a day job and I have good insurance. And even with my insurance, it doesn't cover the co-pays for mental health. So if I mm-hmm. want to even see a therapist, right, this isn't, I'm not even talking going into like a residential program just to see a therapist my out of pocket with insurance was i went to one appointment and it was like 150 bucks was my responsibility (laughs) out of pocket with insurance so how i can't afford that no you know and if you're if you're going to really benefit from therapy you should be going at least a couple of times a month ideally maybe once a week yeah i'm not a doctor i'm not I'm not trying to, you know, but in my experience, you're not. I know, well, if you want to call me Dr. Josh, you're <laughs> more than welcome. I'll answer to it. Dr. D. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do have a PhD. <laughs> Actually, no, I don't. That's a lie. I'm a PLD. Yeah. Don't lie. You're going to get your license taken away. P- PTD. Pretty, Pretty tiny, tiny dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Josh Adams, PTD. <laughs> At your service. <laughs> yes. I'm here to show you a good time. <laughs> then I pull out a tic tac. Insurance, please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just, it was really, really eye opening to me just how broken the system is. So I don't know what I can do about it. You know, I'm just a voice amongst a sea of voices, but I don't know. It's, it's something that I would like to advocate for, Yeah, you know, because it's, it's a broken system. And I know from being in the recovery community, there's a lot of people who need help. Oh my God. Yeah. And if you look at the statistics of people who do get help, and do get clean and do get, you know, help for eating disorders. It is such a small percentage of the people who are suffering from those addictions. So it's something that I would love to see some reform around. Um, Definitely. It's one of the many things that needs reform around here. You know, I agree. It's a, it's a problem, but just to kind of, you know, finish off what I was talking about with my dad. I I decided that, and ironically, I had started this process even before that happened, but I was trying to find a therapist for myself uh, because I have some underlying trauma that I have not worked through, uh, like religious trauma. I was raised in a cult and just a bunch of different things, you know, dealing with my sexuality, uh, being bullied as a kid, you know, there's a lot of layers of trauma that I have not really worked through. So I had reached out to a therapist and 
we had scheduled an appointment, which ironically was the day after I got back from my trip. So <laughs> thank God for that. Cause I was able to like, <laughs> she's like, what are you, what are you here for? And I'm like, well, well. <laughs> let me tell you what's been going on. <laughs> and I just like unloaded. So then she was like, so was that why you sought treatment or were you looking for help with other things too? And I was like, well, ironically, no, I, that, that's what I'm dealing with currently. <laughs> but no, I'm, <laughs> I'm here for other things too. It's so, just a bonus. Yeah. But I think it's good though, because it is stirring up a lot of stuff. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like that was the other thing too. I had asked my dad if I could, because I told him, I was, especially when this first happened, I was like, think about how inspirational your story could be. Yeah. If you get to the other side of this, you know, having come through that and surviving it and, you know, turning your life around, like what an inspirational story that could be. Well, he fixated on this idea of sharing his story. <laughs> and every time I talked to him, he'd be like, I want you to tell my story and I know you'll make it hilarious. Oh, and I'm like, man. there is nothing funny about this. We cope with dark humor, but there is nothing funny about what happened. No, it's not funny. And yeah, I did make a lot of inappropriate jokes when it happened. Because but you were in pain. I, I was. And I didn't you know didn't how know. to handle it. Exactly. You didn't and know how to handle it. I I don't like feeling that out of control. But in that moment, I was completely powerless. Like yep. there was not one thing that I could do. And it was scary. It really was. So yeah, I, I dealt with it by trying to, you know reflect or deflect and make you know inappropriate jokes and try to laugh my way through it but it, it was, was really difficult it was interesting like seeing you go through that and being a part of it because i remember it brought up a lot of stuff about my dad too um just like similar situations with like being hospitalized and not for you know he never attempted to take his life but he was hospitalized a lot in his last year and it started with like a procedure and then that went wrong and all of these like infections happening and him being in a rehab center like for rehabilitation and kind of like a nursing place and then he also lost lucidity a lot of times and he would be like having a lot of hallucinations and they would have him in and out of the hospital and then one time they like airlifted him to the hospital and then at one point like the nurse that was like attending to him i guess like came down with covid and this was at the height of covid and i'm like oh shit oh, he's gonna get right. covid and that's why he's going to pass away like and this was before he um like went on life support and he funnily enough he didn't even get covid um even though it oh, was really? like all around him he never got it um, but he ended up dying because he kept on I almost, having. Oh. I almost said, "How lucky!" <laughs> <laughs> That's so messed up. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> no, it's please just... forgive me. <laughs> oh, you asking? <laughs> you yeah. asking my dad? Please forgive me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. No, he he never ended up getting COVID. Um. But he, like, had a lot of health complications. And then then one day, like, he had, like, a heart attack. And um, and then he just didn't come back from, like, he, he went into a coma. And then um, we all, like, flew there, like, and took him off life support. But, like, all the, the other stuff that you were saying about your experience with your dad just, like, really reminded me of those last moments with him and, like, all, all of those things that happened with him and I think I remember telling you throughout this it's just like just talk to him just be able to like just to be able to talk to him and have lucid conversations with him just seems like like the best thing to do in in your situation to be which is to what I was doing yeah you know I was I was talking to him somewhat regularly but then when I went there and I found out that it wasn't you know from him being super depressed and everything yeah and it was more of like a vindictive thing that changed my perspective on things and also you know my mom started seeing this crisis counselor and we sat down um, with him as a family and we're talking about you know just a lot of the stuff that's happened over the years with my dad's behavior and um, just various things that he's done and 
you know, like my dad has anger issues and has for a long time. And so, in fact, I thought he was bipolar, but apparently he's never been diagnosed as that. I don't know if he is or not, but yeah, there's certainly been a lot of traits. I'll put it that way. And the crisis counselor was basically, you know, just giving a lot of caution, like, be careful when he comes out, you know, because now with this escalation, we don't know what he's capable of. So it became more of like a safety concern, like for my mom and my grandparents lived there too, you know? So it was something that I was, I don't know, it just changed my perspective on things. So I actually haven't talked to my dad since that trip. Mm, I saw him coming back. Yeah. Like I saw him when I was there. That was, you know, when he was telling me, you know, to tell his story and make it hilarious. Yeah. And I don't know. That just didn't sit well with me. No. And then, you know, hearing the perspective that it could be a safety concern for my mom. And like now what I'm trying to do is recognize that my mom, you know, she, she's going to make her own decision. And I've voiced my concerns about the situation but at the end of the day it's her choice what she's going to do like if she's going to let him come home or or what um for now he's in like a group home where you know he's getting the care he needs and he has access to be able to meet with a psychiatrist and you know they're taking care of his medical needs so he's comfortable but he wants to come home and i just it scares me Yeah, You know, it scares me. And I don't know if he really fully understands how this has impacted my whole family. Yeah. Not looking at the serious repercussions of his actions. Yeah. It's like he, it's like he's moved on from it already and Mm. he expects everyone else to move on from it. And, and it's just, I've discovered that even though he survived, there's still like a grieving process that's oh, happening. Yeah. And all of those levels of grief are coming out in various ways, you know? Yeah. Like the, the denial part and the anger and all of it. And also too, like everybody processes grief and trauma in different ways, mm-hmm. you know? So like my whole family, we're all at different stages in that process. Yeah. So I'm just really trying to recognize that I'm powerless in this yeah. situation. And for me personally, I'm focusing on therapy. That's really all I can do is just focus on myself and healthy ways to cope from my end. Yeah. But yeah, it has, it's brought up a lot of stuff for me. Yeah, I get that. So what's been going on with you? <laughs> <laughs> Segway. <laughs> well, I have a few developments. One of them is since the last time we recorded, I've been struggling a lot with um, my eating disorder, and I've had a few relapses since we last recorded, and it started with me picking up the sugar and um, binging on sugar again. How long had it been that you had gone without sugar? It had been probably over like four years. So the last time I had touched sugar before like the end of September was um, December 6, 2019. So I hadn't eaten any sugar. I mean, not like intentionally. Like there was like a time or two where I they accidentally like if I got like a coffee, um, they had put like this super like syrupy sugared up like syrup or sauce like in one of my coffees and i was like (laughs) and i was like oh shit and and i was like disinterested and um but there was just like this slow decline of me showing up for like my my eating disorder recovery and it really started with like my job and making my job my my higher power and making my job the priority instead of um doing the things that I used to do on a daily basis for my program which was you know like making outreach calls and staying connected with my sponsor doing like daily readings and journaling and trying to keep a spiritual connection with my higher power that I call God and that I really just like see through like nature and 
I I was really disconnecting from that. And I also was like starting to go back off a consistent schedule with my meds. And I'm also seeing that my insurance, my health insurance, speaking of insurance, it um I turned 26 and it ended at the end of November. And so sometime in November, I stopped seeing my therapist and then my insurance ended. And um, so I've been in a battle with my HR at my job um, to get my insurance that I know I had signed up for at the beginning of, of them hiring me um, to go into effect. And I had like this whole back and forth and they weren't getting back in contact with me. And so my insurance didn't actually finally go into effect until like maybe two weeks ago. And oh, okay. So, well, at least it took effect now. So that's good. Yeah, it, it finally has effect. So I'm I'm able to get my medications without being to pay out of pocket. And um, I'm going to start making doctor's appointments and stuff. But, you know talking about it all now makes me realize like the timeline of everything was like well I haven't been seeing my therapist and I have not like updated her about like all these new and difficult things that have been happening um and I I I just really let go of my program and along the way I just became really apathetic towards like recovery and I went to a meeting tonight and I was sharing about how when I have large amounts of sugar, it makes me feel like shit. I, I feel really tired. I feel really lethargic and weak. And I feel like I'm fucking high when I have mm -hmm. so much in my system. Not even so much, but like a lot of times it'll like right when I taste it and I'll hit my tongue and I'll just be like, I don't. I feel like shit feels like my chest is collapsing and I don't I'm like tired of pretending like I have power or any control like I'm tired of pretending that I can eat like a normal person or that I can that I can handle things in moderation because right now I fucking can't I can't handle anything in moderation I keep on trying to like convince myself and I just can't and <laughs> getting emotional um I want I think a lot of times I just like really want so badly to be normal and I mean saying that outside of like like a 12-step context it probably sounds off-putting i just i guess i just wish that i could eat some foods that other people can eat without an issue but it affects me and i have like this obscene like allergic reaction to sugar and some ingredients in food to the point where like i just want to binge on them and like it becomes the only thing I can think about I'm I'm just feeling like down and kind of sad today and it didn't really hit me until I went to a meeting tonight that like if I hadn't like picked up sugar like back in September that I would have picked up three years in um recovery from my eating disorder today but since oh, like today, like today's the actual anniversary, like actually today. Been? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I, it didn't really, I've been kind of feeling like kind of down and depressed today, but I didn't really, I've just been avoiding it. <laughs> How crazy of me to avoid my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, avoid your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> i can't relate to that at all no we face our feelings head on and we love it yes we do i heard a really great analogy actually 
Um, so are you familiar with bison, like the animal? Uh, sure. Buffalo? Yeah. Like, like those big, they look like giant cows, sort yeah, of. Yeah, with the horns. Really fuzzy cows. Oh, okay. Yeah, with the horns. Yeah, yeah. In like Montana and shit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> whenever there's like a, a blizzard, the herd will head into the storm. They're the only animal that heads into the storm. Mm. And the reason they do that is because they'll get through it faster. Oh. And so for me, I always run away. So I'm running in the same direction as the storm, which means that I'm in the storm for longer. (laughs) And I like the analogy of facing it head on because then you can get through it faster. Yeah, I think I use that same analogy, not not the exact same with the bison, but I I was talking to to a fellow in program for like binge eating. Um and I told her, well, you know, ironically, you have to go through the drive-through to get out. You have to go through rather than around. <laughs> this is true. And this is um, very true. Alas, well, actually, I am that's sick not entirely true because some of the restaurants they have like an extra lane that you can like if they have you a decide two lane. you want to pull. Yeah. Yeah, well, but one that you don't have to order in. You can just drive through. Like literally just go oh, around. Oh yeah, the one where you can just keep driving if you accidentally took. Yeah. 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 I've never done that. <laughs> if I have, it's because I missed the place to go and order. <laughs> to turn in. Yeah. <laughs> or Same. I've already gotten my food and I just wanted to exit right. the correct way. But <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Same. Um, yeah. Same. And and also the only running I do is away from my feelings. <laughs> I have to read. I can relate a lot to that, though. Yeah. I can relate because I was. So if you were to look at the original date from when I was first introduced to 12 step recovery in September of this last September would have been 16 years. Mm. 16 years if yeah. I'd stuck with it. And I just, you know, that was really, that hit me hard because that's a lot of time to be just out here screwing around, you know? And I'm, I'm essentially in the same position I was then. Yeah. Only now I have more health consequences as a result of it. You know, I'm, I'm not where I want to be in my life. I just feel like I've wasted a lot of time. This last time that I went to treatment, when you and I met, one of the therapists there was someone who I was in treatment with the first time. Yeah, I was just thinking about him. And I was just like, I walked in the door and I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm a therapist here. I'm like, oh, well, it's great to see you. <laughs> oh, fancy like, seeing oh, you. That's great. Great for you. I'm I'll just go check in at the receptionist counter. <laughs> yes, my life is falling apart. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if I ever shared this story on here, but what I got. So speaking of, you know, wanting to unalive ourselves, uh, yeah. I was really at a dark place when I came back to treatment this last time. And I could like, that's all I could think about. And at the time I was working a job that was like, at the the minimum was an hour commute each way. So like a minimum of two hours in the car every day. And all I could think about is that like the whole way to and from work was all I could think about. And so when I got to treatment, they part of the intake is they go through and they ask you questions. Like if you're having those kind of thoughts or have you planned how you would do it? And so I was honest with them and I told them that I had and that I had thought about how I would do it. And so without getting into too much detail, um, I had thought about like pulling my car into my garage. And so the lady who was the nurse, (laughs) she was like (laughs) nurse Deb. She was from Boston. She smoked for like 30 years. So she had this real gravelly voice. (laughs) (laughs) And when I told her that story, I told her, I was like, the only thing that saved me was that I was too lazy to clean out my garage. It was full of shit and I was too lazy to clean it out. So from that point on, every time I would see her in passing, she'd be like, have you cleaned out your garage yet? (laughs) God rest her soul. (laughs) I I love her. I miss her. I miss her too. She was, 
she was something else. What a character. Every time I'd see her, she'd be like, I'm going to the pharmacy. Because she still had that, <laughs> that thick Boston accent. Going to the pharmacy. Yeah. Going to the pharmacy. And I remember, like, I would tell her, like, personal, well, because I would tell her personal things about, like, accommodations that I needed while being there. And um, I remember there would be, like, a meeting at, like, at the center a few feet away from where she was sitting like doing like after hours or whatever and she she had such a like a loud voice and she'd be like how's your incontinence doing (laughs) (laughs) oh no oh my god but yeah i love nurse deb i can't believe she said that wow (laughs) just in front of everybody just called you out like that yeah Mm-hmm. I love her for that. Yeah, we love her. <laughs> I loved her because she, okay, so <laughs> they're so strict at this treatment center that they only give you two diet sodas a day. Mm-hmm. And if you had cough drops, they had to be sugar-free and you could only get six a day. And I got sick when I was there and I had a horrible cough. And so she would like, <laughs> she would sneak me extra cough drops. She'd be like, here you go. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> She'd give me like a whole handful. <laughs> and of oh course, I'm such a food addict. The whole day, I'm just popping drops <laughs> like the fucking candy. <laughs> yeah. The sugar-free like um, glaze. Yeah. They're like menthol, like horribly tasted, but whatever. There was something. It was something hard in my mouth. And we know how I love that. <laughs> oh, we know. Yes. Yes. Ugh. Goodness Speaking gracious. of hard, oh, <laughs> yes. T- tell me more. The You've got my attention time. now. Oh, <laughs> I are have, we talking like an erection? Yes, I have an erection. Oh, tell me more. Yes, my erection. So I have a girlfriend, <gasps> and I just wanted to tell everybody that. Yeah, she has a girlfriend. Yeah. It's her first girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully my last. Uh-oh. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> I know. She's she's amazing. This is it's cool though because it's like my my first like lesbian experience and that sounded so cheesy just now but like with my my body dysmorphia and my eating disorder and just also like being in the closet and like feeling like it would never be safe to come out or or that whole timing thing of like I don't know if you've ever felt this way but like I cannot date or come out of the closet until this certain point I can't do this until Oh, like if I weighed a certain amount or looked the a certain timing. way. Or, yes. Yeah. The timing. Yeah. And so like if 15-year-old Steph could see me right now being able to have a girlfriend while being, I don't know, like in my current body size and like still struggling with food and not being perfect, she would be mind blown that you can have a few things coexist where you can be like trying to be your best self and also not as skinny as a stick in order to be worthy of a relationship or to be worthy in a desirable way. Mm-hmm. And I think that has been the best part for me is like having someone who is like attracted to me for who I am right now today in this moment and um someone who loves how weird i am and Mm. how absolutely absurd i am (laughs) well i love that that you are getting to experience this for the first time because i know we've talked about this like on a one-on-one level because i can relate a lot to that especially when i was first you know coming to terms with my sexuality and uh, i was i also struggled with the body dysmorphia and just the self-esteem issues in general and I was, I remember being so terrified of the idea of taking off my clothes in front of another person. I know. Like terrified. So, and I know that there's a lot of people who struggle with eating disorders who feel that way. So I know I'm not alone in that, but I will say that as time has gone on, I'm a lot more comfortable in my body now 
than I used to be. Yeah. Do I have the body that I want? No. I'm going to be the first to admit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've shared about struggling with the food. I continue to struggle with the food. When I relapsed, I had gone a couple of years without eating sugar. And when I got back into the sugar, I got back in it hard. And it's a struggle. Like once you start, once that, once that gate is broken open, it's like really hard mm -hmm. to close it again. Um, and I've still continued to struggle with it. And so like where I'm at in my journey with everything is after struggling for 15 years, I've decided like maybe it's time for me to look into the bariatric surgery options. Yeah. Um, my stepmom is doing know. that. She, I just saw her a few days ago and um, she is deciding to go that route. I'm curious to see how that would affect my dating life. Right. Because when I lost weight before, I got, I never got to my quote unquote goal weight. I'm just shy of six feet tall. I'm 5'11 and a half. And damn it, that half an inch, dry, <laughs> it kills me. So I just round up. Anyway, I'm six feet tall. <laughs> and I currently, I don't even know what I weigh. I'm going to guess that I'm somewhere around 580. Mm. I, I'm, I'm a big guy. And that is kind of like the weight that I've been off and on for many years. And the lowest I ever got was down to 288. Mm. And my goal, I think at that time I was shooting for like 200. You know, I would have been happy yeah. at like 200 or even 225. But what I found was when I lost weight, I was too small for the chubby chasers mm. and I was too big for the regular gays. Yeah. You know, the superficial shallow ones. And so I was in this spot where like I felt like nobody wanted me. And so I think subconsciously that's what I've struggled with all these years is this fear of if I lose my weight, am I still going to be lovable? Because at mm. least now I have intimacy. Yeah. But it's from people who are attracted to big people. And so there's a certain part of that that it's like fetishized. I was just going to say, it's like the fetishization. And it's interesting you say that because for me, my fear has always been in the reverse of like, will I only find love or like desirability once I lose weight? And is it going to be like a catch 22 sort of thing where I have to lose weight and then keep on losing weight in order to find that love and desire? Well, I think ultimately it's a little bit of both. I think there are people who will love and accept you for who you are and, and the body that you're in. But I also recognize that there are people out there who are very superficial yeah. on both ends of the extreme and they either want you to be huge and get bigger or they want you to be small and get smaller so i think it's about finding the right match for you someone who can appreciate you for who you are any, both inside and outside at yeah, any size any size like i i was actually talking to my girlfriend about that today about like how i've been feeling like really self-conscious because like in my relapse i've been gaining weight and when we first met i was quite a few pounds lesser and she's like stephanie i'll love you if you were at this weight for the rest of your life i would love you the same if you did lose weight i won't love you any less or any more if you went on opposite ends of the scale and that's just really something that I needed to hear, that it won't be a terms and conditions based on what size my body is going to be in or what what that could look like. Because, and you tell me this all the time, that like our looks right now are so temporary and what, hap what matters is like down to my core, is someone going to stick with me and love me when I'm old and gray and like all of this like beauty or whatever and like youthfulness disappears and all we have is like our conversations our minds our passions and mm -hmm. all of the inner yeah i i agree because like yeah i i have had some you know i've met some people who the sex is amazing but if if you can't carry a conversation or have things in common with me like i I can't pursue anything more seriously yeah. than just, you know, sex. And I, and now as I've gotten older, I don't want just random hookups. Yeah. I mean, 
I'll do them from time to time. But I mean, I won't deny. <laughs> everybody has their needs. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I don't like, I don't want that to be all it is. You know, yeah. I, ultimately, I would like to find something more substantial than just sex. And don't get me wrong. Sex is a very important part of a relationship. Yeah. I think. Depending. But yeah. it's just one part of it. It's just like they talk about in the program, right? The program is a three-legged stool. It's spiritual, emotional, and physical. I think the same thing applies in a relationship. You can have the physical, yes, but if you don't have the emotional and the spiritual, the stool's going to fall over. Yeah, it's it's not going to be stable. And it takes all three of those things. So you want to find somebody who can be compatible in all three of those areas with you. And I'm not saying they got to have the same, you know, spiritual beliefs as you, but it, I think that all, all of those things are important in a relationship in order for it to be successful in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. You might be able to balance it for a little bit with one or two of those things missing, but it's not going to last forever. No, that's what I've found with Bree. I'm just going to name drop her. <laughs> Brie. Hey Brie. Hey Brie. Thanks for listening. Hey Brie. Oh. Mm, hey, hey girl. <laughs> hey girl. <laughs> oh wow, you got that sexy, sultry voice going on there. Hey, hey Brie. Hey Brie. Hey Brie. <laughs> oh wow, you sounded real butch there. <laughs> Let me see if I can sound butch. Hey Brie. Oh. What up, bro? <laughs> Speaking of bro, I'm sorry. I meant Brie. <laughs> Do you know how many times my phone autocorrects to bro when I'm trying to like be romantic? It's like really, yeah. I love you so much, bro. <laughs> I just friend zoned you by accident. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, I love that. what I was gonna say is that like first and foremost, we have such a good friendship. Like me and her, we feel like we're very close and we're like best friends and we can literally just like goof around and talk for hours while also, you know, like having that desire, that chemistry and that, that want and need for more like passion and like romantic stuff. But like we, we have that baseline and that foundation of a really good friendship. I love that. I think in my experience, you know, a, a healthy relationship, you can be funny, you can be goofy, but you can be serious. You yes. can be all aspects, you know, you can bring all all parts of you, your authentic self to that relationship. And I'm glad we're talking about this because another thing that I've started doing as part of this whole process of coping with trauma and everything is my therapist suggested that I check out another 12-step program. It's called Codependence Anonymous. Oh, yes. And so I'm looking at my own codependency issues mm. and how that has impacted my relationships over the course of my life. You know, And I'm not talking just romantic relationships. I'm talking relationships with coworkers and bosses and my parents and my family and roommates and uh, anybody any relationship you know yeah um because it it really does it's crazy how much i could relate i didn't really fully understand what codependency was until i started reading a checklist of <laughs> traits of a codependent and i'm like oh yep i do that and that, yep that, i do that, that, that. And, and that oh yeah <clears throat> called out i may qualify yeah i definitely <laughs> felt called out for sure so that's one area that i'm working on myself because i want to have a healthy relationship yeah. And I I'm at the stage in my life now where I recognize what I want in a relationship and I recognize that I deserve to get what I want. Yeah. And I don't have to settle no for less than that. Exactly. And so in the past, I'm colorblind in real life too, but I'm definitely colorblind to red flags or at least oh in the past. Oh my I god, was. yeah. I would see a red flag or three or five and I would just be like, eh, he loves me. It looks green. <laughs> but now when I see red flags, I'm trying to be more mindful of that. And yeah, because nobody's going to be perfect. I don't, there's not a perfect person out there. Yeah. So there's going to be things that come up no matter who it is. But the question I ask myself now is like, is this something that I can live with? Because I, I can't control other people and I can't change other people. So who they present themselves to be, I have to take that at face value. Yeah. And I have to decide, am I compatible with this or not? Is this going to enhance my life or not? Right. Is this like worth investing in? Right. 
because it's not just it's not just an emotional investment it's a time investment it's mm -hmm. a you know it's it's just an investment on all parts and putting yourself out there it, it's it's taking a risk you know there's risk involved in being vulnerable with someone else like that you know because you could get hurt yeah and I've been in the dating game a bit longer than you. And so I've in some ways become a little jaded to it, mm. especially the way dating is now like online dating. <laughs> oh Lord. It's just a, it's a whole beast of its own. It's, you know, like with the ghosting. And, and I don't know if this is true for heterosexual dating sites, but like for gay male dating sites, it's like, oh, it's almost like a job interview. It's like, hi, nice to meet you. Are you a top or bottom? <laughs> <laughs> like that's we like just they immediately just jump go into right that. into it right into it that's the first question not like what do you like to do for fun no are you a top or bottom right. i gotta figure if we're compatible in that way first and then we'll get to know each other <laughs> maybe feelings will apply later on man it's it's crazy online dating is crazy but i don't know i just for right now you know i this last year was a tough year for me yeah it really was between all the moves and with what happened with my dad and all the trauma that that has stirred up, you know, it's it's been a lot. It's been a lot to deal with. But I also think that through all of this transformation, something beautiful can come of it. Yeah. Like I was telling I was telling someone today, I was like, I've been through a lot of shit in the last year. And she was like, well, how do you want to look at it? Do you want to look at it as shit or fertilizer? Mm, I like that. Yeah. So out of this. I'm going to hopefully grow something beautiful. Yeah. That's like, um, that's you know, the thing it. about lotus flowers is that they, they need shit to grow. Well, look at us. We're lotus flowers. Aren't we so pretty? We are very pretty. <laughs> so pretty. <laughs> I'm a pretty little lotus flower. You're a pretty little flower. Yeah. Thank y'all. Thank you. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> thank you on that note we're gonna wrap things up for today uh thank you so much for listening um we will definitely be posting more regularly the goal is to post once a week yeah we are going to be posting censored episodes on our public social media sites but if you want an uncensored version of the episode join our patreon page and you will be able to access uncensored episodes where you can hear us talk about all of the shit. Okay. Well, you all have a wonderful day wherever you're at listening to this. Be well, be kind to one another, and we'll see you next time. Bye. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, please visit unhingedunicorns.com. You can also support this podcast and access member only content by visiting patreon.com forward slash unhingedunicorns. unicorns.